This episode is sponsored by Interactive Brokers. Did you know that Interactive Brokers clients earn up to 4.33% on their uninvested, instantly available cash balances? In fact, how much interest is your broker able to pay you? Interactive Brokers' prudent and conservative risk management uniquely positions IBKR to pay you far higher interest. That's just one of the many reasons clients use Interactive Brokers to trade stocks and options, futures, currencies, bonds, funds, and so much more. Rates, of course, are subject to change. Visit IBKR.com slash interest rates to learn more. The Disciplined Investor is all about you, your money, and the markets. Sit back and get ready for this edition of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. This episode of The Disciplined Investor is sponsored by Horowitz & Company. If you're looking for a portfolio manager, look no further. Horowitz & Company, from seed through harvest, cultivating financial success. Markets are getting skittish on economic slowdown concerns. The employment report? Eh, right where expected. And the 10-year yield tumbles to the lowest since September of 2022. Precious metals breaking out too. All this and much more on episode number 811-811 of the Disciplined Investor Podcast. And uh, happy Easter. Happy Passover. What an intense start to the year. I mean, man, the first quarter is over. There you go. Hi. Hello. Doing all right, though? I'm sure you are. That reminds me, all, all those intros by YouTubers. You ever hear those all the time, you know? Hey, what's happening, people? Andrew Horowitz in the house, turning your greens into dreams. <laughs> Those YouTubers, are just, I watched a few of them this week. I'm like, where do they get those intros from? It's always like, and then, hey, 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 do me a favor. Smash that like button. You know? <laughs> anyway, I don't know where I went there for. Hey, it's Andrew Horowitz. Thank you for joining me today, each and every week, where we talk about money, finance, and all the things that are important to you when it comes to your money. Maybe a little punchy at the end of the quarter here. I had uh, quite a few different events over the last few weeks, and I, I'm I'm. Daggone tired, I'll tell you right that now. Well, we're in the start of the second quarter, and uh, things are actually looking really interesting because we're starting to see, uh, I, I, I would say, a little bit more relaxation. The VIX dropped down a little bit. That's good, not as a, an elevated concern. Some people would say that's more concerning, but I'm telling you that there's a little bit of calm that has overtaken the markets recently, which is good. The fact that we are seeing that there's no, well, there was one surprise. We'll talk about that. But, um, you know, the, the fact is that we saw that uh, the end of the quarter, March specifically, I think was the most interesting where people were seeing a little bit more of uh, the brighter side of things. I thought that we spent some time this week looking back on the quarter to try to understand what went on with the flip, flap, flopped up, down, turnaround moves and what went on throughout the the month of January, February, March of 2023. Uh, you know, what it seemed to me was it was like this one day, this one day that would be up, the 
one day down and one day up, one week up, one week down, one month up, one month down. And I was noticing this and thinking, well, that's par for the course. We've seen that before. It's, it's nothing really that new. But in fact, I saw a really fascinating chart. And I think it was from, uh, I think it was on Twitter. And it looked at the daily returns for indices over, I guess, the last few years. And the subtitle was, it was the best time ever to buy the dips. Because it showed that if you bought on down days, the next day was an outperforming day. So you'd buy on the down days, you sell the next day, and your performance with that basic strategy, if you want to call it that, was the best utilizing that strategy of the last year that it was ever in history. So I guess it did go back a little bit further in time. Kind of interesting. Buy the dip is back when there's no stimulus, when there's economic outlook, which is poor, which may be, by the way, why this is happening. We've talked about this reflexive trade, this, this, this Pavlovian response to what has gone on over the last decade plus. Whereas it was very easy just to buy on any bad news when there's blood in the streets. Let's not let a crisis go to waste. When there was this, this time that the Fed would step in at every single moment and just liquefy. I, I, I'm saying that word. Now, I'm not saying reduce interest rates. I'm not saying quantitative easing. I'm saying liquefy. It was like they came and dumped every ounce of water to douse the fire. And I think that trade memory, the muscle memory that we have for that is really interesting and important to understand. Will it last forever? Probably not. When you get beat up enough, you probably say, well, that's about it for that strategy. And once we know what is happening with a particular strategy, oftentimes what happens is that strategy never works again. So here we are noticing the strategy. Maybe the reality is that that strategy is never going to really work once again. But what I want to do is let's talk. And I, I wrote down a, a bunch of things. I have some notes from other areas that I gathered. There's a lot of them on what happened and where we are. And I think it's really important to recognize that we need to look back to look forward, sort of a little, a little back forwards discussion or forwards backs discussion, whatever you want to call it. Looking at where we were, what is happening, and what are the reasons that we got here so that we can learn and understand more about potentially what is going to happen moving forward. Already we saw that markets got a little bit concerned that weaker economic news that was headed out in the first week of April really shook up investors. And wow, wait a second, for the longest period of time, that was actually the opposite of what was occurring. The idea that we would see lower um economic results, worse, you know, less uh, uh, manufacturing or, or, or confidence. That was always a good thing, seeing that the Fed would catch on to that and do something. Well, now what we have is the reality setting in, which I think is what's actually happening. The reality setting in with the idea that a recession is basically, you know, baked into the cards. So let's go over and do a look back at 2023, first quarter, January, February, March, and just do a summary and review. 
So the one thing that we do know is a word that's been used over and over is this resiliency, right? Wall Street, the markets really were resilient during the first quarter. And that was in the face of rising inflation and uncertainty about the Federal Reserve's actions, interest rate hikes, um, banking concerns, right? Inflationary data in January seemed to show inflation that probably was looking like it peaked. And the Fed was supposedly going to scale back on its interest rate hikes. And in fact, we started thinking about cuts moving forward. However, what ended up actually happening was that inflation data that followed showed prices ramped up significantly and stock and, and, and bond prices dipped as investors responded to concerns and interest rates would continue to rise for a longer period of time. And then you had the inf impact of, um, of inflation that was added to the collapse of major banks in March. All these things sent, you know, sent the bank stocks lower, the idea that Credit Suisse Group nearing failure was taken over by UBS Group. And several U.S. banks basically went under. Several big banks pushed money into companies like First Republic to try to keep them alive. Really, that's all it was. So this, this recession that is yet to become a reality seems closer now with all the things that are going on. And during the first quarter, the one thing that was counterintuitive with all the layoffs that we saw, with all the commentary from companies, big and small, about we're really, we need to cut back. We're really tightening our belts. We're really going in there and finding ways. And company, you know, you saw this company after company after company came out and talked about this and said, you know, we are going to do what we can to make sure that our Expenses are right. We overhired. Man, did we overhire. And we're starting to cut, you know, 5%, 2%, 8%, 10% of our workforce. But yet, none of us really saw that in the initial claims on a weekly basis and the continuing claims, the unemployment rate, the non-farm payrolls, the uh, private payrolls from ADP. None of that really came through very significantly at all. It's like, well, what's happening? Are all these people still maybe ineligible to collect? Well, the layoff's not showing up for some other strange reason. Like, maybe they just went and found a job right away? Did they just get fired or let go or furloughed or laid off, whatever you want to call it, and just immediately found jobs? And as such, there's no impact. And if there's no impact, wait a second, then that means that the economy is still hot. So all this came into play. And even though inflation continued to rise, the CPI was was pretty significantly uh, elevated, of course, came down a little bit. PCE, which is, quote, the Fed's preferred measure of inflation, did in fact show that prices slowed on an annual basis. So we started to see, as we got through the quarter, some signs of life. And that's probably why January at first, we saw the first indication that there was just a little bit of a break in that inflationary trend, that things were, were good and the markets took off. We saw the exact opposite, the reflection trade, a mirror image of what happened in 2022, where in 2022, we saw growth stocks just get pummeled. The technology shares, the biotech, the healthcare, to a degree, some healthcare, um, the consumer uh, discretionary shares, they got just obliterated when we saw the banks, and particularly energy and utilities, and staples hold up really well during that massive turmoil of 2022. And here we enter 
January of 2023, and it's like off to the races. The technology is like, let's go. You know, we saw by the end of the quarter up 20, 25% for many of these names that really got smacked last year. And the growth component of the S&P 500, or the growth component of the indices overall, the Russell, did amazingly well. That was some quarter. Maybe a little bit too much. But despite all the turmoil that we saw, this ongoing war in Ukraine, Scott's stocks did pretty well. You know, again, the technology did really well and global tech shares did really well. And we saw that the NASDAQ really did well. Energy stocks, which again, I, I mentioned that, they, they did fall during the first quarter. Oil did fall until the latter part when that surprise came last week with the uh, OPEC plus commentary that they're going to cut production by a million barrels. That was pretty amazing. So, um, you know, we can go through all of the facts of what happened during, uh, you know, January and then February and March. But here's the thing that really was interesting. Um, we did see that the, the uh, global manufacturing PMIs, the, uh, the, the, the manufacturing and industrial numbers and production of goods at manufacturing plants um, was, was not really doing well. In fact, uh, down, declined at the fastest rate since um, May in, in, in 2020. Um, and services retracted also for the third month running. So that was pretty interesting. But again, uh, by the end of the quarter, things were pretty good. We saw that uh, you know the Dow was uh, lagging, but the NASDAQ and S&P did, did fine. Um, the 10-year Treasury slipped 35 basis points uh, or more during the quarter. Uh, crude oil dropped a little bit. Gold advanced 6.3%. Silver had a great quarter. So um, going ahead, let me skip ahead a little bit uh, to the end of the end of the period here. Um, and, and, and kind of talk about, you know, what happened in, in March, because I think the, the, the really nice move that we saw in, in January, the take back a little bit, in February, but still the momentum was pretty good. And the, I think the, the, the overall confidence was pretty high. Interesting, again, that confidence was high. We're starting to get some really bad things happening. I think what's, what's going on there is the idea that many people are of the belief that once you get to the stage of the economic cycle or the investment cycle, either one you want to look at, and, and let's talk about maybe the, the, the economic, but, but more so layover, have a, 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 a look at the, the investment cycle because there's a saying that once you start to get things really breaking and all hell breaking loose when it comes to the markets, you're probably closer to the bottom than you are ever. And it may be a really good time to consider starting to buy things. So we did see this potential final explosion of the banking sector as the Fed increased rates to a point, bank executives made really piss poor decisions and we saw things really break. And that's what we saw. And maybe there was this this, this thought on Wall Street that, you know, 
If we keep on getting these really bad pieces of news, then we're probably closer to the bottom. And more so, we probably have a Fed that's going to take notice of this and stand up and say, you know, maybe we shouldn't be so aggressive. So I think that way of thinking was really brought out into the markets throughout the last few months. And even that we had this obvious banking crisis in the month of March, investors basically blew it off. The NASDAQ and the S&P led the gains in the benchmarks in March again. Many sectors outperformed, including information technology, tech, communication services. Again, utilities did well, which is interesting on the opposite side, but financials were the one that just were obliterated, right? Money was taken out and rotated. That is one of the big things that we're seeing right now. This ongoing and never-ending rotation from sector to sector to sector, which is pretty interesting. And, and this is on the heels of manufacturing reports in March that actually retracted and services expanded. That's a trend that we're seeing, right? The idea that people don't want to buy things, but yet they want to do things. This idea of experientialism. I don't know if that's a word. I just made it up. But the idea that we want to go out and experience things. We want to not just get things. It's very nice to wear a new Rolex or a new Patek Philippe or, uh, you know, have a new dress, a new car, a new whatever you're doing, right? But, but how great would it be to go to Costa Rica and search out the three-toed sloth or take a trip like I did. Uh, you know, and see the Panama Canal from start to finish on a very small vessel and experience a James Beard culinary cruise for a week. That's a memory that will stay with me much longer than maybe, I don't know, a car that I have for a couple of years. So this experiential concept, which has probably been exacerbated and really, not only exacerbated, but 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 life brought to it, you know, really the idea of, of, of life injected into this idea through things like Instagram. Thank Apple for cameras built into your phone and Samsung and all the other players out there that have allowed for us to see through the lens of someone else instantaneously what is going on in some of the greatest places in the world. To go and see a, the Sphinx or any of the wonders of the world. The balloons of a Bagan in, uh, uh, in Burma or in uh, Myanmar, which you can't go to anymore. I went there. Fascinating. Just, I mean, as I say these things, these, these images come to my head. Better yet, when I go to my phone, I can see all the images and it really brings it to life. Point though is that's what people want. Why? Well, we know why. There's no mystery here. The idea is, you know it, we were stuck. We were left for dead. For two years, the idea was this, this COVID was going to be the end of us all. Especially in the beginning, right? The fear, the panic. That was, that was real. That was real. Like, where is this going? Are we going to die? And now what we have here is a, a, a time when we want to say, well, you know what? YOLO, 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 I'm going. 
Why? You only live once and I'm going to go out and do it. Now, that's why we're seeing such a divergence in manufacturing right now. Plus, we see the supply chains opening up, so there's a glut of inventory. But we see also the fact that people want to go and do things. And with the labor market remaining strong and people keeping their jobs, and we had in March 311 added, uh, this month only 240, but still through the first part of the year, very substantial gains in jobs. Hourly earnings rose each and every month. Consumer price index came down a little bit. Savings are starting to wane a little bit. But things were, I would say, not Goldilocks, but close to it. Just right. And that's why we saw such a really good response. And only looking back on this could we really see that very clearly. So uh, generally, uh, you know, I looked down a list, a table that I have here that that I generated for this discussion. You looked at the Dow Jones, the Nasdaq, S&P, you know, the global, uh, Russell 2000, the global Dow, everything up, 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 up. You know, Nasdaq, the big winner, up 16% for the quarter. The global Dow up 5.86%. The global Dow up 5.86%. Trend your treasuries, again, went from uh, 3.87 at the end of 2022 down to 3.49%. The dollar also was going down. That was something that we thought was going to go up forever, it seemed, for a while. Oil ended up down, and gold much higher, clipped 2,000. That was pretty interesting. So I want to talk about some economic reports also that, that I think uh, are really important to look at and um, the GDP and things like that. But first, I want to mention... Interactive brokers. I'm, I'm, I'm talking to all of the independent and the, the investment advisors out there because financial advisors, yes, I'm talking to you. Are Question, are you looking to add or switch custodians? A lot of people are these days, you know, or maybe you're even going independent. Interactive brokers provides lowest cost trading and turnkey custody solutions for all size firms. Trade globally from a single Unified platform with no ticket charges, no custody fees, no minimums, and no tech platform or reporting fees. Doesn't get much better than that, right? Plus, IBKR has no advisory teams or prop trading desks to compete with you for your clients. You gain IBKR's free CRM, the portfolio management and trading platform, plus portfolio analyst, a tool to consolidate your client's entire portfolio. And automate and flexible billing management and overall just uh, viewing of your client portfolios. So switch to a custodial solutions that works for you at IBKR.com slash RIA. Interactive Brokers is a member of SIPC. So now let's talk about eco. We call it the eco. Economics. Because we saw on Friday, markets were closed Friday, by the way. It was for Good Friday as we come into the Easter weekend. But markets were closed Friday. And we did see, interestingly enough, I, I don't, this doesn't happen that often when you have a legal, quote, banking holiday and a market holiday that you also see major economic reports come out. But for whatever reason, I'm not sure what the reason is, they did. So the jobs number Friday came in a bit lower than last month, right in line with expectations. 3.5% unemployment rate was the number that was put out, which was a little bit of a drop from last month. Uh, one of the things that as I read the commentaries and I listened to some of the things being said, and I looked at the underlying report itself, there was 
probably some aspects of the report that could be seen as uh, employment gains slowing, you know, underneath things. You had to really dig, <laughs> okay? This was not like apparent. And he still came in with uh, above 200,000 uh, job growth for the period. And, and again, a drop in your unemployment rate. So there's something to be said about that. The headline's going to be seen. That's the numbers that everybody's going to look at. But when you look underneath, there was some indication that maybe we're starting to see a little bit of a break in this in this really rapid and this constant growth of employment. But it's really something you need to dig for. But I bet the, all the bulls will be coming out with this uh, on Monday or throughout the weekend talking about how, wow, you know what? We're really starting to see some real big moves in the employment. The Fed's getting their way. I don't think that's the case. We're still seeing that there's a very strong economic backdrop when it comes to employment. Some of the other things that are not related to this, which we'll talk about, um, are starting to see a little bit of slowing down. And we could find evidence in individual runs, maybe like used car pricing or maybe even some home numbers. Some things, depending on where you look, will show a slowdown. Now, in terms of the Federal Open Market Committee, the FOMC, we did see that in March they met, right? And the 22nd they came out, they increased the rates by 25 basis points, which everybody was like, oh, what? With all this going on, I can't believe it. That was just a show of hopeful strength. The idea that the Fed said, you know, if we would not raise at this point where markets have an expectation for us to raise, they're going to think we're panicking about something. And then we're right in the middle of this banking crisis, and we don't want to cause any more problems with that. So therefore, we are going to stick to our guns and hope to God that this works. We saw that this happened already in the EU, and Sweden did the same thing, even with, uh, or Switzerland did the same thing uh, with regard to the fact that Credit Suisse was going under, and they still raised rates. Like, hello? So... They're trying to make it look like, hey, you know what? Ah, that's no big deal that the banks went down. We have other fish to fry here. So the the 2% rate of inflation that is this, uh, this level that is uh, arbitrarily going to be the, the key target is still out there as something that they're constantly talking about. And then they talked about, quote, the committee um, – is, is noting that labor market conditions, inflation pressures, and inflation expectations and financial and international developments um, would be the reasons why they would consider adjusting. But right now, they seem to be staying the course. And then we have the GDP come out. And the GDP, uh, even though in the face of rising interest rates and accelerating inflation, uh, we saw an advance in the fourth quarter of 2022, the latest that we have right now, right? So the, the economy um, and GDP moved up by 2.6% in the fourth quarter of 22, and that was the final estimate. Now, GDP uh, increased 3.2% in the third quarter after falling in the first and second quarters, so that was good. But yet, now we're starting to see that maybe the next quarter is going to be our problem child. And that's why a lot of people were talking about and have been talking about the first half of this year being a little bit different, difficult because um, there was, again, this rotation and we went from spending in these areas to maybe offsetting them with an upturn in private inventory investment, a small decrease in fixed uh, residential investment, 
federal government spending was a big part. So all these things went into the play of how GDP actually advanced. But again, uh, when we talk about 2022 in its entirety, we saw GDP at 2.1%, uh, which was uh, compared to 5.9% in 2021. So what I guess what we were saying here is that the potential for a reversionary move, a reversion to the mean, is probably pretty high. I would say that's something that we're really going to watch and probably expect to see. Now, whether or not we have that reflexive trade that I talked about, whereas when we get into bad times, everybody's all excited and they're going to be all a flutter about, wow, we're in a recession. That means we should be buying stocks right now. All going to be up to earnings. Earnings are coming out in a couple of weeks, by the way. We're going to have to keep an eye on that. I think that's on the, uh, I want to say the 14th, but I don't think that's right. I don't think it's the 14th, 21st. Next couple of weeks, let's put it that way. JP Morgan's going to lead off and then we have the banks, the financials. We're going to see what's going on there. Uh, find out a lot more insight. I'm sure there's a lot of butt covering going to be going on, a CYA, so to speak, in those reports. It's going to be interesting to watch. Um, inflation, we talked about a little bit. I have this listed down here. CPI rose 0.4% in February after increasing 0.5% in January. And over the last 12 months, and in February, it uh, advanced uh, 6%, which was down from 6.4%. So that's good. Uh, price for, for, for shelter, houses, was up 0.8% when largest contributor to the February CPI increase, accounting for about 70% of the overall advance. So food prices are up about 0.4%. Although some things you're finding, I bought uh, 50 eggs for $12. I bought chicken for $1.99 a pound, uh, you know, chicken breasts. So that's coming down. Things are coming down there. Now producers, that was interesting because the prices that Producers received for goods and services fell 0.1% in February after advancing 0.3% in January. We'll see the next couple of numbers coming out shortly. So producer prices uh, increased 4.6% over the 12 months ending in February and rising 5.7% for the 12 months ending in January. Now, housing was a big one, right? Housing, everybody's watching. Housing is important. Housing is something we want to keep an eye on. It employs a huge amount of people. It is a tremendous part of all of our assets, our individual assets, right? A big part of our overall assets. And a payment process, you know, for things that we have to do, whether it's upkeep and just living. Uh, and the, the amount of materials that go into building new homes or repairing old ones is substantial. So housing something that we really have to stay attuned to. And sales of existing homes increased for the first time in 13 months after vaulting 14.5%. 14.5% in February. Now, despite the increase, this is the interesting part, existing home sales actually dropped 22.5% from February 2022, according to the NAR, the National Association of Realtors. And... Um, they're saying that home buyers took advantage of, of the interest rate declines, and that's what happened. We saw some interest rate declines coming in. They're like, all right, let, let's go. Let's get it. Let's get a mortgage. Let's go. The median existing home price was 363, 363,000 in February, higher than the January price of 361,000, but slightly lower than the February 22 price of 363. Unsold inventory of existing homes, we had a 2.6 month supply at the current sales pace, lower than January. Sales of um, existing single-family homes 
rose 15.3% in February. But we're down 21% from a year ago. So just look at it that way. There's good news and bad news. Everything's tempered a little bit here. So we saw a little bit of a price hike in some of the uh, existing family homes also. But overall, uh, you know, housing has been relatively stable still in its entirety. However, we talked about this, I think, on DH Unplugged. We talked about this this show a couple times also. We're seeing, seeing spots around the country that have having very severe downturns in overall pricing. And with that, other areas are doing quite well. Some areas in Texas, uh, Miami. Well, Miami's coming down, but Fort Lauderdale, Broward County, Florida in general. There are places in the Sun Belt, Arizona, doing pretty well. That's picking up the slack for some of the other ones that are not doing well. But I would imagine, and I would just project and hate to tell you this, the longer we have interest rates higher as they are, the worse the housing is going to be. It's just going to start caving in upon itself. It's not going to crash necessarily, but it's just not going to hold up as well. The only problem is with my commentary and the only flaw potentially, and, and what will make that an untrue statement is if we continue to see the millennials and all those that were basically couldn't buy homes for years deciding that somehow they're just doing it anyway. There is a, a lack of or, or incongruency in the number of homes to the people that need homes. And we're seeing rentals and rental prices are crazy these days. Have you seen rental prices? Rental prices are out of control. It actually almost pays to buy a home as compared to the rental price, even with the mortgage rates as they are right now. You could do a calculator and find uh, the differential on how much that costs, including adding things like, you know, taxes, maybe homeowner association, um, looking at utilities, insurance, and the mortgage, compared to just single, you know, simply handing a check in to rent for each and every month. It seems like it's a much better deal right now to buy, which is absurd. It just goes to show you how much people overpaid for homes that they're desiring to use for rentals. That too will come down, especially with all the Airbnbs out there right now. Manufacturing, we'll go through these very quickly. Industrial production unchanged in February following a, a 0.3 increase in January and a 1.4% drop in December. So um, there was uh, definitely a, we're definitely in a, a time when manufacturing is slowing dramatically. There's no question about that. We saw new sales for uh, new orders for durable goods decrease 1% after increasing 5% in January. Uh, durable goods orders have declined two of the last three months with January's decrease. Excluding transportation, new orders were virtually unchanged. So we're seeing that uh, transportation obviously is slowing down a little bit too. Car sales, in other words. If you exclude defense, new orders decreased 0.5%. So defense, of course, is government spending. Uh, so we're starting to see that slow down dramatically. Uh, let's see what else we have here. International trade. Ah, that's okay. Let's take a keep going here. Okay. Um, import exports. Let's see if anything important as I look through my tables here. Uh, February's import uh, prices edged down a little bit. Okay. Import, that's good. Import prices, you know, if you see import prices come down, that's actually going to be good for the inflationary pressures. We saw some of the largest monthly drops since September 2022 when it comes to 
Um, prices for U.S. imports, which also is interesting as the dollar came down a bit. Non-fuel imports um, actually climbed a little bit. Export prices rose a little bit, so you want that, right? You want import prices dropping, export prices going up a little bit. So uh, trade activity uh, weakened in February. All right, let's get to the good stuff here, shall we? Uh, international markets. So there's this battle that's raging on, right, against, uh, against rising inflation. And it still was front and center, right in, the, right in the midst of everything right now for pretty much all the world's economies. Now, you look at core inflation, which excluded most fuel and food and um, um, energy costs, hit a record high, record high in the eurozone for March. So the ECB hanked, uh, went in and hiked interest rates another, what, half a percent, and will likely call for a similar rate hike in May. The Bank of England added 25 basis points, you know, after they saw a crazy 10% or 10.4% annual increase Inflation, which was much higher than expected. On the other hand, inflation in Canada eased in February, falling 0.7 percentage point, 0.7, yeah, like 0.7, uh, to an annual rate of 5.2. Japan's consumer prices index fell for a full percentage point, unbelievable, 3.3 in February. More government subsidies for electric and natural gas, hello. However, food prices continue to rise. For March, the uh, stocks Europe 600 index lost 1.4 percent overall. UK um, FTSE dropped 3.9, and a few others dropped. All right, consumer confidence. The conference board's consumer confidence. I think this is really one of the more interesting things that we look at is the, is the idea of consumer confidence, right? Because it's all about how we feel about things now and into the future. So consumer confidence increased in March to 104.2, up from 103.4 in February. And the present set situation index, that's the one that was really interesting when I looked at this table, Um when we look at it and you base that on consumers' assessments of, of the current, basically what's going on now, right? The current business and labor market conditions, it, it decreased to 151 in March, down from 153. So what we're seeing is probably the expectation outlook, which is the key, the key kicked up. All right, why do I think that's interesting? Because people are saying, hey, you know, uh, right now things aren't that good, but I really think that, I hope, I, I believe, I see that things are going to be better in the future. And that's good. That's actually a good thing. When we see that there is hope for the future, even though things aren't good right now, people are more readily desirous of putting things to work. They're looking down the road. If it was exactly opposite, things are good now, but man, things are going to get bad. They start to retract and pull back. So um, the expectations index um, ticked up. Now, according to the conference board's report, an expectations index below 80 could signal a recession. Well, okay, that could be the case. And it's below this level in the past 12 or 13 months. So it's still down. So a lot of big signals here is what I'm saying, right? When you look at the current, the expectations, which is better, but yet it's below levels that are considered to be recessionary that will call a recession out in a number of months from now. So it's a very complex, convoluted, yet interesting intertwining of data that you have to look at here when we go from manufacturing all the way through things like consumer confidence. What's happening with the idea that as interest rates come down, people are going out and not only just, you know, thinking about buying houses, they're going out and uh, they're getting it done. But yet they don't want items. They don't want material goods. They want to go out and have the experience. 
The world's changing. The funny thing is, the way that we measure all of this is not. That's a problem because you're not seeing that there is a, even a discussion about looking at changing some of the ways that we look at traditional metrics of economic activity. Rather, stay with the old ones, which really aren't telling us a whole heck of a lot. Because in a world where we see the largest increase in interest rates in history over a short period of time, right? So in other words, the the increase that we saw from the Fed over the last however month, like the last year, is the most uh, vertical that we've ever seen in history, but yet the employment situation isn't moving. And how is that? And inflation, still hot, coming down a little bit, but still hot. So something is, is, is amiss. And I think that we have to get rid of some of these old codgers, frankly, that are running the Fed and get some new blood with some new ideas in there because these guys are just, I'm not going to go into my tirade about the Fed again. These guys are just not doing the job. So looking ahead and, and thinking about what's in the future, um, the second quarter probably going to see more interest rate hikes and pushing uh, a little bit by the Fed. The idea that in January we may see a 50% chance of a, of a reduction in rates. That's what they're looking at right now and, and is coming in. Rate hikes probably going to be smaller, maybe 25 basis points the next meeting. Um, the labor market doesn't look like it's coming back at all. Now, there is some talk about it going negative sometime in July. Industrial production may actually show some gains coming in, while the service sector is more likely to strengthen again. And continue on. So in other words, what I'm telling you is right now, more of the same, just with a lot less Fed overreach. But that doesn't preclude the rest of the world from continuing on with their rate, their rate hikes trying to squash inflation. So caution, yeah. Opportunity, yes. Um, outlook better, possibly. Banking crisis over, definitely not. Still a lot to work out there. Earnings season, I have my concerns. The idea that we saw so many companies recently coming out with massive either uh, cuts to employment or uh, possibly even uh, more than cuts to employment, I think that it was all the slashing of costs. The slashing of costs that we're seeing from like major companies like Google that came out and and, and, and in a letter, it said, we're, you know, looking back at 2008, we had similar, wait, wait, 2008? We're comparing this to 2008? Well, how'd that happen? And cutting this and cutting that, I think that's a sign that earnings are going to be very concerning when we see them because companies have come out so far in advance trying their best. I think that earnings are on the 24th. Trying their best to make sure that people understand that while we may see some really poor earnings in Outlook, they're doing everything they can and they're well ahead of the knowledge. They're not just going to announce it during the earnings call. They're going to reinforce it during the earnings call. And I think you're going to see this from a lot of companies moving forward. So that's our recap uh, of uh, what happened the first quarter, 2023. hope you enjoyed that. Uh, we're going to be back next week with a whole new program. This week is Easter, so I hope you're enjoying a, a nice Easter brunch with your family, a good Friday that was nice as well. Passover, good yuntif, everybody with Passover. Thank you for joining me this week and every week. I want to say goodbye. 
and I'll see you real soon. Thanks so much for joining me again. Nothing discussed in this podcast should be considered a recommendation to buy or sell any security. Past performance is no indication of future results. In addition, the information presented is not intended to be used as a sole basis of any investment decisions, nor should be construed as advice designed to meet the individual needs of any particular investor. Nothing herein constitutes legal, accounting, or tax advice, or individually tailored investment advice. Remember, investing involves substantial risk. Past performance is not a guarantee of future results and a loss of original capital may occur. No one receiving or accessing this information should make any investment decision without first consulting his or her own personal financial advisor and conducting his or her own research and due diligence, including carefully reviewing any applicable prospectuses, press releases, reports, and other public filings of the issuer of any securities being considered. Please consider this for educational purposes only. As always, use your best judgment when investing. Horowitz & Company, Inc. is registered as an investment advisor with the state of Florida and conducts business in other states where it is properly registered or is excluded from registration requirements. Registration does not imply any level of skill or training. Advertisements are not related to the host or affiliates and are not considered recommendations by the host of the show or any affiliates of Horowitz & Company.